chocolate. 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 From Dame Cacao, I'm Max Gandy, and this is Chocolate on the Road, the show where we explore hot topics surrounding cacao and chocolate cultures around the world. So let's hit the road. Paradise. If you Google nicknames for Hawaii, and this is true, paradise comes up. But what is it about these isolated islands that has us so convinced of their perfection? It's not just the water or the sand, or even the dolphins. It's the plants. It's the coral reef full of colorful fish, the palm trees swaying in the breeze, and the deep green rainforest seen from above. You just don't get to enjoy that in most cities. But what if I told you that just like those cities, most of Hawaii's fauna is only there because of human intervention? Would that change your perspective on paradise? Cacao is the fruit that chocolate is made from, and it's grown on Hawaii. It was brought over in the 1800s, just like pineapples and macadamia nuts. But it wasn't until the last decade or so that growing cacao has found a foothold in Hawaii. So today we talk to five cacao farmers and chocolate makers on the islands. They'll explore the many reasons it took cacao so long to catch on, and the potential for this vacation paradise to become a chocolate wonderland. How did you first learn about cacao? Somewhat randomly, I was working in marine biology at University of Hawaii, Manoa, and there was a single cacao tree in the plant science building uh, courtyard that I had seen. And at one point walking through, I saw these full-size fruits or what, what seemed to be full-size. They're still really deep red, and uh, I did not know if they were mature or how to tell if they were ripe. And so... I asked some other students and nobody seemed to know, but they said, hey, there's a professor in the tropical plant soil science department on the first floor that would be able to tell you. So I just went and knocked on his door. And uh, that's honestly how the whole thing got started was just kind of on a whim. So now you work with farmers from around the world, right? Yeah, I think the total is around 25 countries. And in what capacity do you usually work with farmers? On a domestic level, it's more on the farm planning or, you know, improving of agricultural practices, research and development on varieties and even some, some breeding. But international, it's quite a bit different. It's mostly focused on post-harvest handling. In fact, Dan's international work with cacao farmers now runs the gamut, and it's tailored to whatever the individual farm's weaknesses are. He no longer works or studies at the University of Hawaii. His goal, both on and off the islands of Hawaii, is to ensure that more high-quality cacao is entering the market, with more of that money going back to the farmers themselves. Because on Hawaii in particular, demand for local cacao far outstrips supply, a recurring problem for one main reason, money. But after a century and a half of growing on the islands, it's for that very same reason that Hawaiian cacao has seen a revival. How did cacao actually arrive on the islands of Hawaii in the first place? According to the university, there was some trees that were brought in to Honolulu by a botanist. And that was around 
the Civil War, and I found some old crumbling records in the university archives that had shown, you know, there's two different Criollo types, you know, uh, genetically pure. They've been genotyped by the USDA. And one came through the Philippines, which, you know, was very likely brought by the Spaniards. And the other one was brought from Tabasco, Mexico. So those are some of the earliest records, right? And that was more botanical curiosity. There was some early interest in growing cacao in Hawaii commercially around World War One, And after the war wrapped up, that kind of fell apart. And, you know, it was pretty quiet for the better part of a century. But then in the 80s and the 90s, there were some startups that started to gain some traction, but pretty quickly fell apart. And there was some somewhat scandalous kind of events surrounding that. And that, that honestly tainted the whole reputation. A lot of people were left with a bad taste in their mouth about cacao for a long time. So... You know, about 22, 23 years ago is when Dole Foods actually started with their diversified agriculture program. With cacao, they were also looking at, I think, lychee and mango, some other crops that, you know, successfully have been cultivating coffee as well. So they, they got started with their cacao. And at some point down the line, they were leasing the orchard and that also became defunct. It was abandoned for years, but fortunately that orchard is located on a floodplain and so the trees didn't completely die even though they were overtaken by weeds and at some point six or seven years after the initial establishment Dole decided to rehabilitate that orchard and within a couple of years you know they were having guitar in San Francisco manufacture the chocolate for them they they had some really great and unique flavor profiles on their chocolate and that prompted them to really focus on that you know Dole doesn't necessarily got a lot of love and recognition you know just just being realistic and objective here i mean the thing that they did do for hawaii is proved that not for any altruistic measures but for what it's worth i mean they, they proved that hawaii could produce not just well above average yields but also well above average flavor and i think you know that was a trigger for a lot of other people to really say hey you know we can grow more than just average cacao here I'd say the proportion of my work with, with Hawaiian cacao has is, is really increased in the last couple of years. When I first started in cacao almost 10 years ago, there were very few farms, um, serious production. It was pretty small, and that's, that's kind of why I branched out and started working in other countries. And typically, that was over 50% of my time the last, especially five years. But um, now that we've hit a kind of critical mass, I'm spending my time typically between Maui and Oahu, where some of the largest farms in the islands are. Currently, the largest cacao farm on Hawaii is owned by Dole, a company better known for commodity-level fruits. But Dole has played a huge role in building interest in Hawaiian cacao. So about how many trees would you say Dole has on their property, and how many trees would you say are already producing fruits throughout Hawaii? You know, densities are you know, somewhere between four and 600 trees per acre, right? And so Dole probably has in the ballpark of 40 to 60,000 trees in total. That, that makes them the largest grower. So, I mean, you're really looking at a total, of, I think 150 acres would be generous. So I mean, a world standard, that's, that's very, very small. 
I mean, you know, you go into Ecuador, there's many single estates that are well over 150 acres. You know, 10 years ago, it was Dole and a handful of more or less, you know, hobbyist growers. You have um, people like Seneca Lanahana that, you know, honestly, he was one of the first people to, to take a stab at commercial scale production. You know, I think he leased about 14 acres. You know, part of what inspired him was, was seeing the quality at Dole. So, I mean, he was, I'd say, one of the first independents that really made a run for thousands of trees. Manoa chocolate, Lonahana chocolate, you know, Madre chocolate, all kind of popped up around the same time. And, you know, both Madre and Manoa, we all knew each other at the university. You know, um, I mean, Dylan started making chocolate. Dylan's the owner, right, of, of Manoa chocolate. And we founded that together. We just met at a New Year's Eve party and had never met before. And, you know, he asked me what I did. And I said, oh, I work at the university researching cacao and chocolate. He said, oh, that sounds really cool. <laughs> I'd love to come by and see what's happening. And so a couple of weeks later, he came by and started volunteering in the lab and got really, really excited and really stoked about that. And then we decided to, we wanted to have a chocolate company. But, you know, he had finished his undergraduate degree, I was still in graduate school. Um, I didn't really have the time or, or capital to really start the company. And at the same time, we thought we had met all these small growers, but at the time, you know, I was still naive about what, what kind of scales of production were, were actually in the works. And it became clear pretty quickly that there was not enough cacao to actually run a Hawaiian chocolate company. So you know, I went my way in founding Cacao Services to to really like foster and assist in the development of the actual agricultural side of things. And, uh, you know, Dylan started with what little Hawaiian cacao he could get and foreign source beans. And as he's grown at the same time, you know, more Hawaiian cacao has become available. And so obviously trying to move in that direction. But, you know, I mean, the writing on the wall has been for a long time is that it's not even break even to grow and produce the raw material being dried and fermented seeds, right? So whether you vertically integrate, which is a huge barrier to break as far as investing capital in, in efficient machinery, a lot of other people will produce, but then have somebody like Manoa or Madre produce their chocolate for them on a much smaller scale of what Dole was doing with Guitard. So I think those two models are the ones that work. You know, anyone that's selling dried bean um, is losing money, really. So that's why, you know, Manoa and I, or actually Dylan and I as private individuals have, have started a small farm on the North Shore, mainly to feed, to feed raw material into Manoa chocolate. Heading over to the eastern side of Oahu, the most populated Hawaiian island, we walk into Manoa Chocolate. Here we're met by the company's owners, Dylan and Tammy. My name is Dylan Butterbaugh. I founded Manoa Chocolate back in 2010, and we are a bean-to-bar chocolate company in, uh, in Hawaii here. I'm Tamara Butterbaugh, Dylan's wife and partner, and I also help manage the customer experience in the Manoa Chocolate tasting room, factory tours, education, that sort of thing. Manoa is not the oldest chocolate factory on the islands, but it is arguably the largest and best known. Their new factory space, where we met for this interview, was just preparing to open. 
It seems huge compared to the tiny chocolate cafes I've visited elsewhere on the island and throughout Hawaii. But this larger space also serves a larger purpose. Located next door to their original factory and cafe, about half of the ground level room is dedicated to factory space. Behind clear glass walls, you can see each employee as they craft each bar, carefully, as Dylan and Tammy have done from the start. Can you tell me a bit about Manoa's development over the last decade or so? Yeah, so in 2010, you, you met Dan earlier. I met Dan at uh, the University of Hawaii, and he had recently gotten a job studying the plant to see if cacao had any viability here in the state. And so he'd go out into the orchard and he'd look at genetics and he'd look at yields and disease tolerance, except focused on fine flavor. And so he'd set up little micro-ferments and I'd help him in this lab because I thought it was fun. And I'm like, wow, this is so much more enjoyable than the rest of my classes. And I kept going in between classes and after school and eventually said, you know what? I'm going to start a chocolate factory. And so over the next few years, if we're just going to consolidate things really quickly, I got enough uh, financing together to buy small-scale equipment, and then we set up the factory upstairs and uh, continued to grow from there. But it was very retail-focused, which was a blessing in disguise. That allowed us to expand much faster than we otherwise would have and not have to lose money. The timing was really lucky, too. It was just that that 2010 period seemed kind of special just because a lot of other chocolate makers were starting to get a foothold enough in a new industry, whereas before it seemed to struggle based on the consumers not understanding enough of why chocolate should be more expensive. And I say this all the time in the tours, we're trying to make the best chocolate in the world and not the most, whereas the majority of the other companies, well, whatever, five Like of them, industrial chocolate. Industrial chocolate is trying to make the most, and they do not care about flavors. So they're not trying to make the best. And that's the real distinguishing feature. So in terms of the American chocolate scene versus just the small scale of the Hawaiian chocolate scene, mm -hmm. how would you define your place within the American craft mm, chocolate scene than within the Hawaiian craft chocolate scene? So you're really big players in both, honestly. Right. I think our challenge in Hawaii is to communicate that this movement is happening in the United States and around the world and set that tone for all the people that enter our tasting rooms to say, hey, this is a big deal. We're sourcing chocolate from around the world, single origin, direct trade. Did you know that chocolate comes from a fruit? Did you know that it tastes different depending on where it's grown? So telling that story and being up and running with a pack of all the other American craft chocolate makers... Um, while simultaneously creating a landscape where people are educated enough to know that they're looking for different flavor profiles based on the 70% single origin, and then being able to have Hawaii enter that as one of the regions. I look at it more globally. Like We are a craft chocolate maker in a very global world. We're buying our equipment from Italy. We buy our beans from, well, as much locally as possible, but from Ecuador and Peru and Brazil and uh, Tanzania. And so I just see us as another chocolate maker that got started just a little bit before a lot of the other makers. And I kind of see it as one of our jobs to help uh, share a lot of the information that we had to learn and, and maybe the hard way and to help other people avoid that. Because there wasn't a lot of people to ask in 2010, 11, and 12, like, how do you build a winnower? You're kind of just going on YouTube and trying to watch videos of how coffee winnowers work.
Selling their chocolate direct to customers has been a game changer from the start for Manoa. Tammy and Dylan actually have such a close relationship with the cacao beans that sometimes they refer to the cacao itself as chocolate. But don't let that mislead you. The process of making good chocolate is complex and variable and responds to the daily weather patterns. And it's part of the reason Manoa has been able to flourish. They function as part of the much larger Hawaiian cacao industry. And so we can develop not just a chocolate manufacturing business, but an industry, a value-added industry, from the trees all the way to the finished product that then is an authentic present for customers to take back. We, we have a very strong tourist market. Yeah, for me, when we started the tasting room, I would get a lot of customers react and say, well, I only want to taste your Hawaiian chocolate. And I would say, whoa, 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 back up. Um, what does that even mean? Let's talk about that. Because yes, that's the right attitude. We want to support Hawaiian-grown cacao, but there's really not a lot out there. So when I have it, I have it, and I separate it by batch. And so appreciate all chocolate, and that creates the framework to be able to start tasting locally grown beans, and eventually we'd like to have more and more Hawaiian farms on the menu. How do you compete with Indonesia or West Africa unless you're trying to stand out because... Now we know we can grow the best tasting chocolate, and that's our focus. Otherwise, our labor costs are too high and our land prices are too expensive. How have you seen the local knowledge of chocolate making specifically grow over the last decade or so? There's a lot more people interested in it. I don't know how much it's grown because there's still not that much available. I would say that the general public is far more aware in the last five years now about understanding what we're doing as a maker, like valuing the manufacturing side as an art, seeing it more like wine as opposed to candy. So I think there's there's definitely yeah, more awareness in the market. This is something we need to make sure everyone's on the same page. So Hawaii needs to be focused on trying to grow and make the best chocolate. That's something I feel is very important because otherwise... It, we're just going to be interesting at first and then phase out. 90% or more of the quality comes from the farm. So we need yeah. to grow the best chocolate. And handle it properly and not ruin it. And not it screw in it up somewhere in the, in the process. Yeah. Which we don't have a role in right now. We rely on other farmers to do that process really well. And there's a few farms in Hawaii that are really doing a great job. But I think one of the challenges educating the smaller farmers that are starting out what we're looking for as a buyer of the of the dried seed. And how have you been going about doing that? So in the early days, I got really excited when a farmer would call me from the Big Island and say, I have beans. It's like, yes, this is what we've been waiting for. And then I said, okay, send me a sample. We'd love to taste it, and then we'll get back to you. And then I realized, oh, no, Dylan tasted it and was not impressed because at that point we had been tasting you know, some of the finest beans from all over the world from Dan's Travels, and we just got really used to great beans, and the local stuff wasn't up to par. And it wasn't necessarily because of maybe the genetics, but I think it had to do more with how the beans were handled in the post-harvest fermentation and drying. So then I had to call the farmer up and say, explain that to him, you know, and that ended up becoming a service that we now offer. So rather than offending people and saying, no, this isn't good enough, there's a system in place where we ask for a one-pound sample. We do a tasting. We look for bitterness, astringency, ancillary flavors. We give a one-page write-up. We send back our um, honest feedback as buyers, and we explain, here's what we like, here's what we don't like, and here's why. And then we set different prices according to how it tastes.
in our retail environment, we make these beautiful limited edition batches that only sell in our stores because it's kind of positioning like wine. This batch number, this vintage, there's only so much, and those sell out. And it brings people in. We can buy one container from Ecuador is more than we can get in all of Hawaii. Like yeah, we buy all of it. And yeah. it's just one container. And we, I would say we definitely have the appetite for all the beans in the state right now. Um, right? Not counting Dole, yeah. It, with the exception of the Dole estate. Because Dole's got 20 acres, so that's, they'll get almost 20 times, 15 times of beans. So we could use all of Dole's. Right, so it's just a matter of having enough farmers out there that are willing to sell And then there's lots of miscellaneous plots of like 500 trees here and 1,000 trees there and 200 trees here. And in the end, it's just small people who tend to be retired who are doing it for fun. And so for that type of opportunity of Hawaiian cacao, we've started a um, program called the Bean to Bar to Market Program. So if they have small amounts of cacao, we'll do our bean evaluation service and then let them know if we'd like to buy it and at what price. And sometimes we'll even... um, bypass the purchasing of the dried seed and go straight to chocolate making and then we do a revenue revenue share model where we'll just make it into beautiful dark chocolate if it qualifies and then they get a portion of the bar sale. One thing I love about what we do is this idea that when the industry started a lot of the, the early farms either had to make it themselves or in the case of Dole they had to find a maker in the mainland. What makes the Hawaiian cacao culture and chocolate culture different from that of the mainland? Hmm. Like, what, what factors well, we, have we contributed to that? The mainland cannot grow cacao, so we're so much more linked to it. And I think this is one of the big issues in most countries is if you're not exposed to the crop all the time, it's going to be a lot harder to work with it um, at the highest level. And like, appreciate the nuances We understand when it shows up that this was over-fermented, this wasn't dried properly, um, this was harvested with pods that were overripe. So we're so much closer and we can tell the farmers like, hey look, we're not going to buy it from you unless you only harvest the ripe pods and we're going to see you next week. It's not like you're in Switzerland and some you're buying from a commodity in Africa off of a market in Amsterdam. We are connected to the farmers. Right. When I think about the Hawaiian cacao industry, I think of the similarity to being in wine country. And somebody who's going to be a winemaker can go and visit the vineyards and tell the growers, hey, I want to harvest it at this bricks level and and visit. Can you imagine trying to be a winemaker in Hawaii and buying your grapes from Paso Robles? Obviously, grapes wouldn't transport as well as cacao beans, but... (laughs) The and also, is similar. just like in wine, you have AOC, like designations of origin. In Hawaii, we have a system called Ahupua'a, and it's a land designation from mountain to ocean that's culturally important, and it's based on the resources in that area. And when you drive around the islands, you'll see these markers designating each region that you're about to enter. So it's something that people should have more awareness of, both locally and visitors. Um, so if we can use that existing system and start telling the stories of all the farms, similar to the way we talk about wine, that's what we're most excited about. And I think we can really bring that to the industry. Yeah, I hadn't heard of that ever before. Driving up the coast of Oahu towards the North Shore, it's sunny and windy. We arrive at Seneca Klesson's farm right around noon. We hop out of the truck, and no longer are we in the tourist's Hawaii. 
This is about as rural it gets on the islands, though we're only about an hour from downtown Honolulu. Dole's pineapple plantation is practically next door, along with their cacao plantation. Seneca's had this farm for about a decade now, since 2009, and he's one of very few Hawaiian tree-to-bar chocolate makers using Hawaiian cacao only from his own farm. After a little farm tour with one of his employees, everyone hopped back into the car and we headed for his shop in Honolulu, where we did the interview. This is where I made a very rookie mistake. I recorded outside. This means that there is serious wind in many parts of the interview, and as much as I've tried to work around them, at some point I've transcribed what Seneca said, and I've just read it myself. I will not make this exact mistake again, but please bear with us for the next segment. I'm Seneca Klassen, I'm the founder and chocolate maker at Lonohana State Chocolate. What brought me to Hawaii was starting this project. I had in mind a place that I, I wanted to go and hang out and try and verticalize a little chocolate company. And um, I spent a bunch of time as a kid, and it seemed like the right place to try and do something along those lines. So I was in, inspired by the Grenada Chocolate Company folks, and having met Mont Green and talked to him. And um, so I came specifically to start the farm and begin the process of trying to make, make Lonohana which wasn't even Lonohana yet. But you intended to start off making chocolate with your yeah, cacao? Yeah, the intent was always to make a vertically integrated chocolate company. So our idea from before we even started anything was to try and prove the concept that we could farm and post-harvest world-class quality cacao in Hawaii and make world-class quality chocolate. Um, so it was always about trying to put those pieces together and make a vertically integrated little company. As I mentioned earlier, Seneca didn't start selling his chocolate until 2014, but he did chocolate-making experiments for years beforehand. I asked him about what it was like in Hawaiian cacao all those years ago, before any of his chocolate experiments began. So there were already a couple bean-to-bar manufacturers locally. There was starting to be, I think, a little bit of buzz about Hawaii cacao and Hawaii chocolate, but um, in terms of the farm base, it was it was really limited. There were... Um, Dole, the Wailua farm, was already in place. That goes back to the mid-90s. And um, so that was there, and that was actually a, um, an inspiration for me as well because I had had a chance to, to taste some dried fermented cacao that had come from Wailua Estate, Dole's estate. It was really, really good. It was very fruity and full of dried fruit character and lots of acid, lots of fun stuff to work with. So I was excited to work in that area specifically of Oahu because I thought the potential was there to make things that I was really attracted to. I've always been a fan of kind of um, bright flavors and very fruity chocolates and so that was that felt like it was possible to deliver on that um, working in that area on the farm. So that was a part of it. The audience I feel like is something that's very much there but we haven't tapped into in all in the most powerful ways that are still out there. Um, I think there's so much to be done, and I, I suspect other folks in Hawaii feel that way as well. I think connecting the kinds of things that we're able to grow and make here in Hawaii with the audience that comes to Hawaii is, is like still a massive territory that we have yet to really dig into and explore effectively. Um, I think for all of us, there's still a big resource there that remains to be accessed, which is really powerful. Um, so that's exciting. I, I think it's a big challenge, too, to like figure out where 
Hawaii grown and made chocolate fits into how visitors come and experience Hawaii, but um, it's exciting to think about how that's going to work. So there's some physical components of growing cacao in here Hawaii that, technically speaking, that are interesting and attractive and help um, in those aspects of chocolate making. Flavor-wise, I think that's yet to be fully understood or developed. Like what I can say, what we see kind of from our farm, which is a lot of um, a lot of the things that I came sort of looking for. Um, a lot of dried fruit characteristics and acidic and balanced flavors. We don't yet have a lot of cacao that has a lot of chocolatiness, a lot of kind of base notes, and I think that has to do with the overall selection of trees that most of us are still farming. But over time, I think we'll be able to refine that and dial it in and have a more um, diverse palette of flavors that we can work with as we all develop our orchards and become better farmers and incorporate some things that we really don't have in Hawaii at this time. I'm thinking specifically of like uh, nacional or neo-nacional flavors like from Ecuador for instance or um, you know interesting palette pieces of the palette that aren't really present at this time so I think that'll come later. What impact has opening a retail shop had upon the business? It's the I mean it's the key component like we wouldn't I don't think we would be able to survive in the long run without uh, direct retail so doing business this way, uh, verticalizing chocolate, specifically with the cost of farming that exists in a developed economy. So I mean, what we're doing here in Hawaii is akin to the way grapes are farmed and wine is made in most of the world. Um, the reason that product is as expensive as it is is because grapes are farmed in the developed world and wineries exist in those same areas. And so when you put those kind of agricultural occurrences together with the finished product manufacturing, you get the advantage of the finished product manufacturing, but you also have the fully loaded cost of actually paying people proper wages. This is still Seneca talking. I mean, for instance, we pay people who come to work on the farm from 15 to 20 bucks an hour to start, you know? And that's what you've got to pay to have anybody come and work on a farm in Hawaii. And that's good, because it's a reasonable wage. But it's also an economic challenge for any small business. So when we're working on all that stuff, like putting it together, what you realize is that having some access to the full value of that product that you're making, you've got to have at least some component of your business that has access to that. Because those dollars that come in through the retail immediately get funneled back into action in the company and put to work in other ways. Whereas when you're wholesaling, you're getting maybe 50% of that value. And you've got to wait for that money. When you're able to integrate the full retail value of products back into the flow of business, it's super powerful and necessary for, I think, most small chocolate makers worldwide would agree that without some sort of direct retail component, they have a rough time of it. Because it's not a high margin business. It really isn't. And if you're existing only on wholesale value, it's not a lot of money to work with. And the timing of it and the cash flow is very problematic sometimes. To bring together all the perspectives we've heard so far, our final stop is on the Big Island of Hawaii. The Big Island is where we find the highest number of chocolate and cacao farm tours. Most of these tours take place on very small farms, but one woman has been taking Hawaiian chocolate lovers to hot spots across the island. My name is Maddie Smith. I am a Hawaiian cacao and chocolate expert on the Big Island. My company is called Barefoot Chocolatini, and I offer farm tours, tastings, and chocolate-related gifts. 
While Maddie has started making some of her own chocolate, for now, her main focus is directly interacting with tourists. From that perspective, we can add more details to this sort of blurry image we have of Hawaiian cacao. Who's buying all of this chocolate? What do they think about it? And what does it mean for locals? So what do you find usually brings people to Hawaii, both the people who move here and the people who go on your farm tours? People that tend to come to Hawaii seem to be interested in trying things off the beaten path. Most people that come on the tours are really surprised and interested in how cacao beans from all over the world and all over these islands taste very different from one another. On Hawaii, a lot of the food is imported. About what percentage of the food is imported? I've heard anywhere from 80 to 90 percent. Wow. <laughs> so with so much of the food imported, what does it mean on Hawaii to be able to eat local? For people that live in Hawaii, to eat local really means that we can be sustainable and grow our own food and support our own island um, economy and sustainability needs with food sovereignty. As far as cacao goes, we're pretty lucky because if we grow it here and make it here, it doesn't have to leave, which means it also doesn't have to be gassed or fumigated in or out of port. Wow, they, so they gas and fumigate every single thing that comes into Hawaii? Uh, they gas and fumigate, I believe, most things that leave and come in, but also that's true for cacao beans that are leaving other origins and entering into the United States, not just Hawaii. That's incredible. It's not something that people usually think of when they think of their cacao, especially when no. people think of, for example, organic cacao. In terms of the, the Hawaiian scene being largely tree to bar, what kinds of benefits or what kinds of obstacles do you think this will continue to present to people? With uh, tree to bar, you know, you're really doing the whole spectrum from A to Z. And from what I've seen um, for myself and other people in the cacao industry, one of the more challenging things is finding affordable land reliable workers to dig holes, plant trees, that drives the prices of our beans quite high, which can be a catch-22. We have a really high demand and a pretty low supply. The fermentation kind of has a learning curve because you really need to get that critical mass, which is a challenge for most people here in Hawaii because there's not a lot of trees and there's not a lot of fruit. So most of us are doing micro-batches and manipulating the fermentation to be successful. So in terms of maybe 10 years or so in the future, even five years, what is your vision for how Hawaiian cacao and chocolate will have grown as an industry? I would love to see the Hilo Cacao and Chocolate Festival in its 10 or 12th year anniversary. I'd also love to see a lot more cacao farmers popping up, offering thorough offerings for farm tours, and I would also really like to see a lot more of the um, professional culinary arts for chocolatiers taking these um, beans to the next level, past chocolate bars into bonbons and other confectionery delights. And what do you think are some of the obstacles to being able to achieve these goals? I think the challenge is definitely shipping bars off the island. I'd say our biggest obstacle is quality assurance. 
or having a, a high standard of excellence. You know, in Japan, I listen to your podcast and it's like everybody wants to be the best of the best of the best. And so competition is really high. Out here in Hawaii, you know, there's definitely some of us that strive for excellence and wanting to be the best. And there's a lot of people that just do it for the love of it. They're not doing it necessarily to be the best, but mainly just because they love the food and the culture and, and how it tastes and how it makes them feel. And so everybody can be pretty, pretty good, uh, but only a few are striving to be really, really great. In all of my interviews and tours and observations across the island, the ideals for future growth were consistently high, but the same question kept popping up. Here's Tammy Butterbaugh. What is Hawaiian chocolate, right? What does that mean? I think it has to be defined. The state of Hawaii passed legislation recently, which was a good step in the right direction, that doesn't allow blending. So if you're going to label Hawaii chocolate, that means grown in the state of Hawaii. 100% has to be grown in the state of Hawaii. Or Oahu chocolate, 100% of the cacao in that bar has to be grown on Oahu. So there is legislation in place that's following that same concept I just mentioned about labeling place, tasting place. And there's growing, and then there's making, right? And both are distinct arts. So what is Hawaiian chocolate? Is it only that it's grown here? And then what if it's shipped to Switzerland? Does it then become Swiss chocolate because it's made there? Right? So this idea of, again, like wine, champagne, that's a style of winemaking, but it's only produced in champagne. If it's any other sparkling white, it has to be given a different name or, or said champagne style. So I want Hawaii to be known not only for the, the quality growing, but also for the quality making and honoring both. Obviously, I'm you know a chocolate maker here in Hawaii, but I do think that's important to honor the local manufacturing piece as part of what it means to be Hawaiian chocolate. It seems like the same question is plaguing cocoa-growing regions around the world, and it may never be answered to everyone's satisfaction. But one thing is certain, we'll definitely address it in future episodes on the road. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chocolate on the Road. If you liked it, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes, and share it in any way you see fit. Your support means so much. It really keeps me excited about sharing the stories and experiences of a range of amazing guests. And especially huge thank you today to Maddie, Dan, Tammy, Dylan, and Seneca. Your hospitality was impressive to say the least, and I'm really excited to return to Hawaii and see how much you've grown. To learn more about our guests, check out the show notes of this episode in the link in the description or on my website at damecacao.com. That's D-A-M-E-C-A-C-A-O dot C-O-M. Have a wonderful day, and I hope you'll join me next time we go on the road.